loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming back Sean Perry. Sean's the president, co-founder, and executive director of We Are Hope, and the former host of the We Are Hope Breaking the Stigma Through Change on Voice America Empowerment Network. Sean's two, Sean has two decades of coaching experience and working with youth. He's a certified life coach, cognitive behavioral coach, nonviolent crisis intervention specialist instructor, and is certified in childhood trauma and is an exposure response prevention specialist, signs of suicide prevention trainer, obviously lots of training. He's also trained in collaborative problem solving and is an international trainer in emotional CPR. Hope we'll talk a little more about that. Sean's program is currently in nine schools in Vermont and New Hampshire and continues to grow. He's spoken at America's College in Washington, D.C., Franklin Pierce University, Southern New Hampshire University, Southeaster, Superintendent Conference of New Hampshire, Dartmouth College, and Sean captures his audience with truth, passion, and the commitment of creating real change in the lives of children. Welcome, Sean. Hello, Cheryl. Welcome, and thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to have you because, um, you know, as we speak, I was just watching right before we uh, got on for today, I was watching the press conference of the Atlanta police officers being charged. Yes. Um it's a few weeks out from George Floyd's murder. Many other things have happened since and before. And uh, not only did I want to talk to you generally about these times, but also most particularly about um, working with children in these times that, are, that were already traumatic with COVID. <laughs> and, and now... Um, you know, so much more is generating um, grief and trauma responses in all of us and and uh, children in particular. Uh, I remember being a child and things like this happening. It's indelible. Right. right. Well, I think, you know, Cheryl, one of the things that, that we as the adults in a room uh, tend to forget is that our children are watching. They're watching. They're listening to every single thing that we do. And when we believe that we are right in a moment because that's how we were brought up, we are not allowing that child um, or those children to really dive in and think about the situations that are really happening. You know, we as adults, we become stubborn in our ways and not realizing that our trauma is being uh, transferred over to our children. You know, mm -hmm. in the work that we do every single day, we see more students with anxiety because their parents have anxiety. We see more students uh, struggle with uh, trauma because, they're, because of the generational traumas that have uh, transpired throughout the years 
um, and their families. And with that said, it's so important to even understand what is trauma, right? Absolutely. And, and, and so, you know, trauma is the damage to the mind that occurs over uh, from resulting distress or, or events as a result of overwhelming amounts of stress that exceeds one's own ability to cope. Right. Like that, that's a lot. And, and, and more importantly, there's three levels of trauma. So we have acute trauma, chronic trauma and, cl- and complex trauma. And when we look at the situations that are currently happening right now, we as a society and I think this may be the first time in history that we are collectively going through trauma together as a society bet- between COVID and, you know, um, and the George Floyd event and that has that has blown up to bring light to the problems that we currently that have we have always faced in this country. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I was, I was thinking, I have grandchildren, so I often look at things through their, through that lens um, of of little people. They are, uh, the one-year-old is not, she's just happy everyone's home, honestly, but (laughs) 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 the six and eight-year-olds are, you know, having some challenges. And uh, I'm thinking, um, so here we have uh, a generation of children who've been told it's dangerous to be around people. Right. Right. Recently and reinforced. Why can't we play with so-and-so it's dangerous to, you know, <laughs> that whole. Right. And then right. into that um, many people I personally know uh, who have young children feel it's imperative to take them to the protests. And I, well, and I, and that makes so much sense to me. It, but then I'm thinking of these little people trying to process that. <laughs> you well, know? It, you know, I, I, I completely understand, you know, um, <clears throat> excuse me. We went to a um, we went to a vigil uh, rather than a protest um, a, a couple weeks back. Um, and I was really proud of how uh, the Black Lives Matter movement of Windsor, Vermont, really um, did a great job of bringing that community together. Um, and I was, and I was very proud to be part of that. But I think one of the bigger, one of the bigger pieces here that, that I think is important for everybody to remember is that in the midst of this current climate between COVID and race, all of these children are going to need to go back to school at some point. And if we, as the adults in the room do not take a stand on what is actually right rather than our opinions, we are gonna continue to build divides in the school. So for instance, if you have uh, black and brown parents uh, that are now so angry that they're hating white people and white people now so angry that they're hating black people, that's gonna be transferred to the students and where you didn't see divides before in the schools, you're gonna start to see it now more than ever. Mm. Right. And I don't think anybody's talking about that. Yes. You know, you were going to have kiddos that were friends before where it wasn't really a big deal. Nobody ever really thought about race. And now race is going to be the top the top issue. And you're talking about kiddos that are that are friends that, you know, we have to remember that children do not see color. We as the adults in the room, we teach them there's a difference in color. And it's our responsibility, without a doubt, to teach them the right way, 
to teach them that we all have value. You know, I want to pl- apply that uh, in particular to um, to white parents uh, because I think there's this sort of general thing that applies even more horribly to what you and I are talking about, where uh, I won't generalize all white families, but many white middle class, let's say waspy families, like I came from, didn't apply mm-hmm. to my family so much. Um, you just don't bring up hard stuff, uh, <laughs> including right. we weren't supposed to show big emotions. You know, yeah. there's a sort of the way to deal with everything is is throw it under the table. Well, we don't Correct. we know that doesn't work well. But right. then if you have a situation like this and you're not talking to kids about what you believe, hey, you know, it's not right that people are treated differently. It's not it's not uh, what we believe in. Then kids go in with no tools. That, those those kids that go back to school, they have no tools. I, I agree. Um, but I but I also think that, um, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And there is a generation uh, around, you know, my age that in all fairness for, for white people do not see color. And I know that that is so taboo. We're not supposed to say that now, right? Because they're supposed to see us. They're supposed to know that we're black or we're colored. But the reality is, is that they just didn't see it. And we have to also respect the fact that they didn't see it that way. They do have to validate the fact that we we have a black lived experience, right? But I think sometimes in this movement that we're going about the language wrong. Language is so important. You know, we learn that in the work that we do with our with, with all the kiddos that we work with. Language is the most important thing, and how you say what you say is important. And I'll give you, for instance, I have a, a friend, uh, uh, one of my best friends growing up, who called me during this crisis, and I won't say his name. He knows who he is. And he said, Sean, I, I didn't know that you went through the things that you went through. And he, he also didn't ever recognize my color, not because he was taught not to in a bad way, but because we were like brothers. There was no color at all. And we have to allow people who grow, have grown up that way to be, able, to be able to express their voice that it has never been an issue for them. So why are we shaming them for it not being an issue? They do validate. They do understand, but not the way that we want to currently in the society. I also think that's not fair. So we have to be very careful on how we're addressing this as a whole to everyone. That's it's interesting. I, I mean, uh, as you could imagine, as a mental health counselor, I think... Um, Shame in response to any problem is is extremely unuse, unuseful. Exactly, uh, <laughs> and I think that's what's happening right now. We're we're you know we're trying to we're trying to shame people. You know, listen, you don't know what you don't know. Let's be realistic. We all know that there's racism. That's the reality. But if but if I've never seen someone be racially profiled and it's never been on my radar and I've literally never seen it, right? Then that's fair to say. I've heard I've heard many. A black people say they've never been racially pro- profiled. Now, I would say that maybe they didn't recognize it. Mm-hmm. But if that's their lived experience, can't we validate that? We don't have to shame them because 
because they don't believe they've ever been racially profiled. I don't think that's fair either. There's a lot of blame going on. We, we know that there's an issue, right? We need to get to that issue and address it. But shaming people, you know, listen, we, we, can't, we can't change the heart of man overnight. We, we can't. But what we can do is teach each other to love mankind. And, and we do maybe that with our children. The, the thing that seems to stand out to me right now is that, uh, you know, the first time I realized this was an issue, I was a very tiny person, maybe five or six, because my dad was going to the South to be, a, uh, he was in civil rights work. So, and I'm 66 now. So for 60, 60 years, I've been, and then when I came out as a lesbian and being aware of that as an issue of oppression, then I was married to a black woman until she died. Now I'm married to a Hispanic woman. So mm -hmm. I've been very exposed. I consider right. that quite fortunate because I've watched racial pro profiling in the passenger seat, Absolutely. literally. Yeah. And it is so obvious when you experience it. But I agree with you. Some people perhaps have not been, um, have not thought about it at great depth. And so what I think the opportunity of this moment is, is for people to see it as their responsibility to educate themselves. Absolutely. Not to be wrong, I... not to be ashamed, but right. to be educated. Why are people saying this? Well, they're saying this because there's, it, there's an underlying truth. Systemic racism exists, you know. I, and so, and I think I think that's the I think I think you're spot on, right? Is, is that we have to, as a human race, validate people's experience throughout their life. That is our responsibility, right? To validate what someone else is going through. So, and, and the interesting thing about validation is you don't have to agree with it, hmm, right? Yes. You don't have to agree when you validate. People mistake that, you know, understanding that I've gone through something personally because of the color of my skin and validating the fact that I've gone through it. That's all we're asking to do, right? Validate me. Acknowledge the fact that my struggle is harder than your struggle at times. And that's, that's hard. Uh, I, I'll, I'll give you an example as an observer. So uh, my brother uh, lives in Napa on a vineyard as mm -hmm. it happens and uh, I was at a party a very wonderful party on his property I was sitting next to my Hispanic wife there was mm -hmm. one other Hispanic person uh, at the party as an attend attendee they were down the table and we are chatting with the person everyone else was white <laughs> yeah I've been uh, in that room <laughs> right so <laughs> We feel like we're visiting another country because yeah, we live yeah. in Oakland, right? <laughs> 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 anyway, <laughs> we're we're uh, across the table from a very nice guy, you know, obviously friendly, and we're chatting, you know, chat, chat, chat about this and that and the other. I can't even remember what brought it up, <laughs> but um, he said, uh, oh, I don't see color. Now, in that situation... That was actually a microaggression, right? All the people serving the table 
for people of color. Right, My wife was right. a person of color. So right. to not see color in that situation. Absolutely. And as the person sitting there with her, I, you know, being a pacifist, I never want to hit anyone, but I was upset. <laughs> <laughs> I was upset. <laughs> right. and, and knowing what to say in those circumstances. So it's complex, isn't it? It is. Uh, and, I, and I think that we have to, again, admit the fact that it is complex. There, 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 there's not an easy answer. There's not an over, you know, again, this isn't going to happen overnight. But we, you know, I guess it goes back to the, to the simple thing, you know, love thy neighbor, right? Treat right. others like you would like to be treated. Exactly. It is, it is legitimately in, in that regard, that simple, but it's hard to do when we have a society that is so full of themselves and their own needs and what they want and never willing to think about the next man. And worried more about seeming right or good than in correcting something that might have gone wrong. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know uh, that that's... <laughs> Uh, you know, you're preaching to the choir on that one. You know, everybody has <laughs> well, to... we're, we're, hopefully we're getting it out there, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody, you know, everybody feels the need to be right. You know, as, 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 as I'm sure you have, you know, I look through posts and, and, and I see things that are people are writing on Facebook and, and, and whatnot. And everybody has an opinion. And I think, and quite frankly, that's awesome that we all have an opinion, right? Amen to but that, you're, Sean. But your opinion okay, is just that. It's an opinion. It's not fact. And so when you want to come to me personally with any type of racial anything, please come to me with some actual facts that we can talk about, right? Because just because you think the sky is green doesn't mean that it's green. It's blue. And guess what? It's always going to be blue. And so... <laughs> We have to base our conversations on facts. The fact that you have an opinion is great. You know, it's funny because uh, that that really intersects with uh, one of the ways as a as a mental health counselor, right? Uh, who's who's worked with a, a lot of couples. Uh, I sort of feel like uh, you know we're in in um, national couples couples counseling. Yeah, we're in a bad divorce. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what's yeah. the first rule? You listen to each other yes, and you trust absolutely. the validity of the other person's experience. But right. that's very hard to do in the current climate, couldn't we say? And well, um very hard to do always, but maybe particularly so right now. Well, I think I, I think so because um I, in this climate, more than probably any other, people feel attacked. Right. We also we have to validate that also. Right. As, as people of color, we've got we've got to validate that that uh, white America as a whole feels attacked and white America as a whole is not all racist. So people are hurt right now all the way around the board. Right. Black America is dying by the by the hundreds, by the thousands every year. Yes. Right. Whether it's by the and police then or by COVID. Right. Whether, by, whether it's by the police or by, uh, you know, um, violence within its own community. So regardless, we have a problem that we need to address 
Um, and, and to me, that, that problem is the heart of man. Why have we fallen off uh, so far that we forgot how to love another human being that's mm -hmm. different from us? What, what caused that? I really want to talk more about that, uh, but it's time for a break. So let's, let's come back to that because uh, there are so many complexities of the different ways that people are re reacting right now right. and uh, i want to i want to dive into that a little bit in the Absolutely. in the mental health direction yes. so listeners you can find links to my website and social media at the good grief page at voice america and you can find sean perry at wearehope.org it's w-e-r-h-o-p-e.org be back soon Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Sean Perry about the current... Um, uh, awareness of racism, oppression, systemic oppression, and the current work to try to address that and the effect on kids, the whole COVID, the whole situation <laughs> we're in right now. Um, That's a lot. So I, the thought I wanted to um, have you um, weigh in on a bit is if I think about um, grief, which is, of course, the heart of this show, and if I think about our current moment as um, a kind of global grief mm. event, everyone lost their lives they had before. I can't think of anything in my life that's affected the whole world like this. Right. And yeah. then if I add the particular losses 
that have been incurred through racism and oppression mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S. in particular. Then I add um, the differential, which is a result of oppression, of course, um, the differential in rates of COVID death um, in black and brown communities. If I put it all together, okay, we're in a huge grief event from my view. Right. And I know Absolutely. that's my lens. Yeah. So what I expect in that is that um, since grief is a, the most unique experience we have as human beings, mm -hmm. I would expect a huge range of reactions. Right. Uh, anger, violence, sadness, hopelessness, you know, the whole gamut. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's what I think I see. So in a way, I feel my privilege uh, in my particular response, which is to be heartbroken. Mm. Um, yeah. That's a sort of privilege, I think, mm -hmm. that um, maybe someone who's very poor, uh, person of color, disenfranchised, you know, kind of has experienced the most intense um, oppression, maybe, might well, want to wreck something, you know, and I, I get well, that. Well, I, well, yes. Well, well, yes and no. But so, so Cheryl, we got to remember that trauma and grief um, respond differently in all of us. Yeah. Right. So so both of us could be in a car accident and one of us will never get into a car ever again. And one of us might be completely fine and, and, and struggle with it to a point, but might be OK. So right. I think, you know, trauma and grief, um, um it impacts us all differently. And we always have to remember that, that there, there's not a blanket of, well, we're in grief. So we respond this way. At the end of the day, we're still responsible for our actions, right? Everything that we do is a conscious choice, right? Um, except in the facts of when we are, as you know, when the brain is offline, right? When we're in high levels of stress, right? And the brain goes offline we, and we start when thinking, we flipped our lids. Right. Yes. Right. And we start thinking, you know, with our basic, you know, fight, flight or freeze response. And so what we have to. So in that in that same breath, what we have to realize as a as a mental health counselor, um, as a mental health coach, what, what I ask myself is, how do we get everybody's brains back online in this country? Hmm. Right. Yes. How do we how do we de-escalate the situation and get us all thinking with that frontal lobe again instead of the reptilian part of our brain that says we have to respond this way because we're in fight, flight, or freeze mode? And so let's say you uh as a you know, as a coach, uh let's say you were to encounter someone who, let's say, I don't know took a baseball bat to a police car or something <laughs> trying yeah. to think of a recent example. Yeah. Um, yeah. So going back to your principle of, of listening, mm -hmm. would you start with, how would you approach that? If First your goal is, which I don't disagree with you, of course, mm -hmm. if your goal is to, is to get help the person recognize their choices and you know, yeah. all of that. How do you approach that kind of situation? So I think first and foremost, you have to validate what they were feeling at the time, right? 
Mm. I mean, that is that is the most important thing to, to, to you know, whether or not I agree with uh, looting or rioting, that's not the point. Right. Um, the, the point is to validate that person's experience, what they were going through, because it's unique to them. Just because three other people next to them were doing the same thing, what they were feeling in that moment is unique to them. And they need to be heard. They need to be felt. They need to know that someone is there who is trying to understand and validate their pain and their personal experience. And so that is the starting point for me, validating what they're going through. You know, something along the lines of, man, I, I can't imagine what you must be feeling right now that are feeling then that would have brought you to do that. Let's talk about that. Right. That's how yeah. you open that door. That's how you that's how you break down that wall. They may be up in that moment is to validate what they are going through. We all need validation every day. And so in this time of crisis that we are experiencing in our in our country, whether it be from covid, whether it be from race, we need to validate what people are going through and how they're feeling in this moment. We cannot continue to dismiss it. Everyone's experience is important everyone's it doesn't matter how off the wall we personally think it is their experience is important and it's interesting too because i've noticed you know quite a few people that i uh, i i like social media i know that's maybe an unpopular position but <laughs> as someone who works at now, home nowadays <laughs> always <laughs> you know i think it's i i I think it's got its powers, uh, you know, uh, anyway, I'm noticing there's a lot of, I finally unfriended this person and that person and, you mm. know, um, and, and I certainly do understand that because, um, you know, there's sort of a traumatic reaction when certain things get said, yeah. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, on the other hand, if, if I agree and I, with you, as I understand what you're saying, that not talking about uh, person to person about our experiences isn't helpful ultimately. Um, I, I also have a, a, a feeling like, well, there, there's a conversation that can't happen and maybe it couldn't anyway. You know, mm -hmm. maybe they're not the people to be talking to each other, but that that's a complexity I see, um, you know, doing the best myself to keep talking because well, well, I've had a lot of counseling, you know, I've had a lot of therapy. <laughs> well, I, <think laughs> I could hang in there a little longer than some people. <laughs> right. And Cheryl, I think that, that, that listen, you know, I, I scroll through my feed, I see a bunch of different stuff and I see some, I have seen some blatant racism from people that I've known and, and, and that blatantness I have, I have unfriended. And then I've seen some some stuff where you can tell I can tell in my feed that they just kind of don't know exactly what they're talking about. And they're also trying to make sense out of it, because in their mind, a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. And so those people I don't delete. I wait for an opportunity to educate. Right. I don't need to I don't need to yell and scream and tell them that their post is wrong. That's absurd. Why? Right. But educate them. Right bring in you know there's nothing wrong with um with being above the hate now more than ever is an opportunity for us to be above the hate sure 
there's a lot of it going on right now. And, and I, I personally refuse to hate someone because they hate the color of my skin. What is it that Martin Luther King said about that hate has too high a price? I'm, I'm, I'm bungling that quote, but mm. um, I, can't, I can't live with the consequences of hating, basically. Inside yeah. of myself is how I always right. took that. Right. Um, I do want to say that um, it has seemed a little bit uh, a little bit new to me that there's a groundswell in the people I know who are white and anti-racist as opposed mm -hmm. to allies if we can differentiate between right. those a little bit there's a lot more saying hey this uh let me comment on what you're saying right um and i feel that's healthy that yeah. there's some way that um when people are in a situation of oppression uh and i've experienced this uh, in a different way, obviously, very different way as a member of the LGBTQ community, that mm -hmm. consistently being the person to call out what was happening with right. um, with the heterosexual people in my life was yep. very exhausting. Right. And right. Um, even when the situation didn't change entirely, when my straight allies started seeing it themselves mm -hmm. and calling it out themselves. Um, that was really important to me. Absolutely. And I think, and, and you're right. I think we're, we're starting to, we are without a doubt starting to see that now. Um, and, and again, you know, I, I'm all for open discussion. I think that it's important to have discussions, but there's one thing that I learned over the years um, and my father was just a, a, you know, a great, a great teacher to me um, and a man that I admire more than anything uh, for all that he's been through. You know, he, he married a white woman in the 70s. <laughs> you know, he knows the struggle. He knows the struggle. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I just respect him because, he, you know, he's always told me the truth is the truth is the truth. And you can't hide from it. You can't escape it. It's going to always be the truth. And so in that regard, I'm always open to have discussions with people to talk about the truth, not my truth, not Joe Schmo's truth down the street that I heard while we were having dinner, but the truth. What are the facts? And I said this earlier, because when you can have an open conversation about the truth, then we all continue to learn something. And when people are speaking up because now they're recognizing the truth, I think that's powerful. And hopefully we can get more people to recognize the truth. And that's not a, um, there, there, it's not a guilt reaction. Right. You know, if you apologize or if you should kind of shy away or, you know, all those kind of guilt reactions actually don't serve anything. Right. And I said uh, this the other day. I said this the other day, Cheryl. I said, I don't need anybody's white guilt. I don't need it. What I need people to do is educate their children. 
right? Educate the next generation. Because if we can educate the next generation, we can start to remove the hate out of the heart of man. Yes, in that regard, and not as a brag, although I am proud about it, my my daughter, she's married to a Persian man, so her kids are not... Uh, not white right mm -hmm. but they they do look pretty white <laughs> she's yep, blonde yep. hair you know yep. anyway this has um definitely brought conversations about race more into their home like very mm -hmm. directly right. um and and it's interesting that the thing i most want to say about it is the kids are young six and eight um but they're absolutely able to engage in that conversation. Right. And uh, they don't, they're not scared of it, which That's I great. think is, is something that people um, pull back from. They don't want to scare kids or something. Yeah. No, yeah. They have a lot of opinions. I mean, they, um, they think white people should have made less money than black people for, 200 years after slavery <laughs> ended that was their magic solution <laughs> well I, quite frankly I, don't, I, I, I yeah i've got some i don't i don't think that that was the answer because there's an awful lot of poor very 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 poor white people exactly they they yeah. they're six and eight but still yeah. Yeah. I no that I, that was, I, see, you know, I see where their head's going with yeah, it right their thought process I mean, but you know? yeah i i understand but, where the um, thought's going and they, well, we've got, and they we've got significant poverty in, in the white community as well. And, and definitely, I think we have, definitely I think we have not more, ruling that out. They don't we have know more of a financial, we have more of a financial <laughs> gap, right? More of the, yep. of the, the haves yep. and the have nots that continues to cause that race divide and then pit the race against each other. And so, you know, that goes back all the way to, you know, the Willie Lynch piece that you and I talked about before the show um, that was embedded long ago that a lot of people don't know that was really the purpose of it to get the poorest white man to hate the black man so that there was a divide there and so that the wealthy can continue to make money uh, actually i had my uh, niece's uh, i'll say his name david dean my my niece's boyfriend is uh doing work on that right in the middle of writing a book about um the the invention of whiteness mm -hmm. um you know it's that's it's exactly what you're saying. And it, right. some of the things I read that he's written um, are so illuminating. So I hope he finishes the book and I can have him on the show too. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah. So it's not that they have all the answers. It's that they could have a direct conversation about what's happening now, where it comes from mm -hmm. historically you know, as, as little people, and it'll be an ongoing conversation, I'm sure. These are haveable conversations. Absolutely. And it's better than leaving the mystery. It's just like when someone dies. It's the mystery that sends people to therapy as adults. Right. Yep. It's, you exactly. know. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Nobody ever comes to me and says, oh, my, hand, my family handled that so well. We talked about it all the time. I've never had right. that happen. Right. It's, you know, the talking really matters so i'm on your page about it it's time Absolutely. for our second break and we'll come back in a few minutes and talk more and listeners you can go to my website weatheringgrief.com the good grief host host page or to find sean perry go to werhope.org wearehope.org back soon
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Sean Perry, and we've been talking about um, the, I guess... I don't like the term perfect storm in this regard, but <laughs> maybe <laughs> the the perfect storm of COVID, uh, George Floyd's murder, many others um, yeah. lately, including um, the two trans, trans, transgender uh, women of color who were recently murdered and uh, dismembered. Um, so that affected me a lot, of yeah. course, too. You know, there's so much happening at once. And uh, I think you and I are uh, similarly wanting to be, um, shall we say, healing forces or? Absolutely. You know, when I when I started this work with with my business partner, James, who is amazing, um, we wanted to change the world. That's why we started working with kids, because we knew that if we can reach kids at a young age, that they would be the next generation um, to change the world. In fact, I had a um, I had a, uh, a client call me in the middle of the night. It was about 1130. It was a teenager that I worked with down in Georgia. And he said, Sean, you know, all this all this stuff going on, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, I don't know what to think. I don't. I said, well, you, you know, you got to you got to think you know, what you think. I can't tell you what to think. But I, I asked him, I said, you know, what do you think would happen if, let's just say, uh, the generation, let's call it from 18 to 21 right now, if every person that was 18 to 21 from then on um, just loved mankind, they, racism was gone, they, you know, they, they taught their kids about race, you know, all these things. Do you believe that there would be racism in 60 years. And he said, no. And I said, exactly. That's why we work with children because we're trying to change the future. 
And in order to do that, we have to educate our children um, in order, you know, to, to be better than we were. You know, my dad told me that a long time ago, you know, I want you to be better than, than the man that I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so important. And I've told my children that, you know, I'm far from perfect. I'll be the first one to say it. I've had plenty of faults. But the one thing that I want is my children to learn from my faults so that they can be better. And if we can do that as a society, we can really change it. Um, but we've got to get rid of this hate that is in our heart, this bitterness for our fellow man, because they have something that we don't have, or the color of their skin is different, or they're trans, or they're gay, or whatever the case may be. We have to love our fellow man. We just have to. We have to find a way to do it. One thing I've found myself talking a lot with clients about in the last how long have we been doing this now? Four months, I think. Mm. <laughs> um, so obviously I'm talking with them um, remotely. Right. But um, I've been talking a lot with people about how we um, go in the direction of um, being well instead of be- being hopeless. Mm. And... Uh, you know, I, I've I've been kind of refining a four-pronged thing that I think about a lot. We have to grieve. Right. We have to have comfort. We have to find inspiration and we have to take action. Absolutely. And I, I've noticed lately a big a big issue for people, especially people who have to shelter because of mm-hmm. health conditions or age or whatever it is, are are really um feeling hopeless as a result of not knowing the exact action that's right for them. Right. Yeah. Uh, because it has to be unique to the person. Do you agree mm-hmm. with that? I, I absolutely do. I, you know, and along those lines, I think, you know, in our business, as I'm sure you know, your business and my business, we talk about self-care, right? And, and, and self-care is it, to, the, your, to, to your point, is finding out what is best for me. Yes. Right? Taking Very individual. Of, <laughs> yes. Taking care of me. Right? And so even in an entire house of a husband, a wife, uh, or, or uh, significant others, uh, whatever the case may be, you have to take care of you first. Right? So here we are as a society currently trying to take care of a uh, um, a worldwide issue, whether it be COVID or um, racism, whatever the case may be, but no one is addressing how they're addressing the situation. And what I mean by that is we're not dealing with us first, right? Where does this sit with me? How do I manage my emotions and how I'm feeling about it? Um, first and foremost, and I think we have to start with us. We have to start with self-care. Uh, because that, you know, a lot of people are going into this situations, COVID and the racial issue, um, without ever dealing with their own stuff. That's interesting you say that because, um, obviously because of what I do, I have some, some, uh, clients who have, have experienced very profound losses, right? Mm -hmm. So 
uh, and then they go into COVID, there was this assumption people were making that those people were the people that were going to have the hardest time. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, it was the people who hadn't been um, stopped from usual activity very much in their lives, who, who had a really hard time Absolutely. being, um, being um, yeah. you know, imprisoned, basically, right? Uh, right. They had no, they had very limited skills for that. Right. And so along the levels of, you know, how we deal with hard times, well, this is a hard time we can practice in and mm -hmm. it might, it might actually help us later. Well, look, Michael That's Jackson said it best. Michael Jackson said it best. He said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Right. And, and, and we have to start there. Um, because the reality is, is you can't help anyone else until you can help yourself first. So how, how do you do that? Right. You know, me personally, you know, we're trying to do all these reforms and, you know, throughout this country, I think first and foremost, mental health support should be absolutely free to every person in this country because we all need it. And that directly impacts work with children. You know, I've been seeing so many posts about how there's police in schools, but no nurses. There's police mm -hmm. in schools, but no mental health workers, you know. And right. uh, uh, that just has such a debilitating effect on kids who are, particularly kids who are traumatized, mm -hmm. uh, of whom there are so many. Um, you know, the whole solution is not police reform, but that contrast uh, just doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't, because you have to remember you're growing up in some communities uh, or some children are growing up in communities where there is such violence between the police and the residents, um, and they're seeing these types of things happen. And then the second they go to school, the trigger, the police officer is there. Right. Or the yes. police, you know, someone in uniform is there. And so you have children that are walking into an environment already already triggered and being asked to learn. Well, good luck with that. And not to mention um, implicit bias of their instructors. And, Correct. Uh, you know, <laughs> we could have another show about that. But yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that, is, that is another show. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've witnessed it firsthand, yeah. but also, I've, you know, I've lived it firsthand. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so then you're likely to be seen as a uh, more trouble. Mm -hmm. That So you're more likely to have the police called out to deal with you. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it. There's so many layers, aren't there? Right. It, there are. And, it, and it's such a cycle of, uh, you know. We are talking, and I think I think it's hard for people to comprehend this, but we are talking about an entire race of people that have such high levels of anxiety for other specific groups of people because it's embedded in who they are. Mm -hmm. So talk about generational trauma. Talk mm -hmm. about generational uh, anxieties that are passed down. I mean, imagine, right, uh, you know, growing up being told that the people, you get one message, these people are here to serve and protect. But you're also, but then you're also told that they will kill you at a drop of a dime. And the never, never call them because they might get right. 
confused. Right. And so the, (laughs) exactly. And so the fear as a child growing up with that, I, I, I just don't think that people truly understand it. Now that said, would I say all cops are bad? Absolutely not. That's just, that's just the most ridiculous comment in the world. Would I say the policing system, the system itself is wrong and bad? Yes. And also just being asked to do, it's sort of like teachers um, being asked to deal with um, the entire scope of a child's mental health in the classroom. No, that's silly. We right? I mean, they we, can't we, do it. We, <laughs> they have we, 35 we, kids. Cheryl, right? we've learned that that does not work. And, and that if does it did, not work. And if it did work, we wouldn't have the mental health crisis that we currently have in this country. And to it's ask not a, fair. It's not fair. And to ask police officers to respond to mental health issues is completely unfair to them. They just are they, not trained for sure. They're not trained and they have a very specific response um, to being able to deal with mental health. There was a, a, an organization up in Vermont and I wish it was a special needs organization that was actually working with the police department so that they could understand when they actually approached people with special needs because they respond very differently to um, high crisis situations. So they can become violent, but they're not very violent. They just become violent in those moments. But police were handling them as though they were actual criminals and doing very specific things that, you know, impacted them uh, traumatically. And so there became a coalition up in Vermont, I wish I could remember the exact name of it, that actually worked with um, a local police department for a specific for specific types of support. So they understood how to manage those crises specifically, those groups of, you know, the group of people with special needs. And I think that's so important when they can do that. But then again, we have to ask ourselves, is that the is that the 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 role of our law enforcement? To put them into to, to managing people with mental health issues, I would I would say no. We need to have mental health professionals managing that. I I, I could not agree more, and that's true of many things that police are are currently in charge of, include including in my neighborhood. There are several um, home uh, communities of homeless people, mm-hmm. tents, um, right. and and I. I live in a fairly middle class part of Oakland. I mean, it's there. It's happening all over. And for police right. to be dealing with that also makes no sense. It makes so no sense. So here's it, my, it, we're running out of time. Here's my commitment that I, as a person, will continue to look for what my part is to play and play mm-hmm. it. That's my commitment. And I want to encourage everyone out there to do the same. Yeah, and, and, and my commitment is going to continue to, to, to love thy neighbor and support those that need support, black, white, or otherwise, because that's the way that we change this world. Thanks so much for being here today, Sean. Thank you, Cheryl. I really Sean appreciate it. Sean Perry, he, he's at org. Next week, I'll have Kate Schatz. She's the author of Rad American History A to Z. We'll be talking about taking responsibility for schooling ourselves and taking action as anti-racist white people. Although she's been doing the work for a long time, she recently got a lot of notice when United Shades of America host W. Kamau Bell put her in charge, quote unquote, of Conan O'Brien's whiteness during an interview on Conan's late night show. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live.